high school so much, but I definitely remember my college years of being really, really frustrated before the Lord. And actually probably some frustration, honestly, with Him. And wondering how in the world can this be what's supposed to be. And having been prayed for so many times for healing and all those other things, and it never changed. It just stayed right there. And I can remember at times being angry and telling God I was angry. And you know what? The earth didn't split and lightning didn't strike and he never disowned me. And I heard that this morning and I'm thankful for the scars because without it I wouldn't know your heart. In my deepest times of need, when I was the most frustrated and my emotions were a wreck, he was there. He was rock solid. He never changed. He never moved. He never left me. And then it goes on with the idea of, I'm thankful for your scars because without that I wouldn't know your heart. And that's what made it possible for him to be that friend that stick closer than a brother to me, that never left my side. And I am who I am today because of that. My many other things too, but it's not always the positive stuff that makes me who I am, makes me able to do what he's called me to do. A lot of it has to do with some of the nasty stuff that came that God stuck with me through the middle of, and he has, in my life, has turned those things in my life for good and used them for what they're supposed to be. I was reminded of a scripture, which I want to pray for us here in a second, pray about that. For There are many of you in the congregation or listening that will listen in today or another time to this message that you're going through it. You're going through the mill. And frankly, there is no way that you can take an honest, hard look at that and saying this, is God's, this has got to be what it is. He's allowed whatever you're in. Don't forget that. He's still sovereign. He's in control. But if, for whatever reason, maybe he has not chosen to remove it or prevent it, but it's there. But I'll tell you one thing, he is a friend that sticks closer to a brother. And the Bible tells us that's part of our journey, this side of heaven, is suffering. Paul went on to say he he was thankful that he could share in the sufferings of Christ. And then when I'm saying that suffering and difficult actually leads to perseverance and other good fruit, there's a chain, I'm not going to read it, take the time to look that up, but perseverance. And actually there's another thing that says, having done all, stand. And the Scriptures wouldn't say that if we were guaranteed to pray a prayer and have that situation removed and everything becomes rosy. It only says that because there are times you will exhaust everything that you know. Your prayers, your friends' prayers, your church's prayers, and you will do whatever you can to try to have that gone. And for whatever reason, God chooses not to remove it. And you're in common ground with that with other brothers and sisters in Christ throughout history and today. And the Scripture says, having done all, stand. You say, well, that's not very victorious. It sure is. Some of the best historic military battles were won because a group of people, having done everything they could to push back, they made a declaration that I will not be moved. And that's what we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. No matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter what life throws at us, I'll do everything I can, and in the end, I will choose to stand if nothing else works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for those that are going through difficult times, suffering, hurting, loss, whatever it happens to be, whether it's here 
or halfway around the world or anywhere in our country, Lord, I pray, but specifically for those that are in our midst this morning, I pray that you would give them the strength to be honest and upfront with you, to let them let you know how they feel inside. You already know, Lord, but I pray that they would make their needs known to you, Lord. But Lord, I also pray that they would be able to experience your heart that never leaves, that never forsakes, that walks with us through difficulties. Lord, we know that you can remove things, and I pray that you would in situations. But we also know that sometimes you choose not to, to allow those things to continue. But Lord, you've also promised that you'll take even that stuff and you will work it to strengthen our faith and to make us into who you need us to be. Lord, I pray that each and every person that hears this morning would have that idea that having done all, after they've done everything else, will make that bedrock decision to stand and not give ground. And Lord, we pray that as a result of that, we would be strengthened, we'd be the people you want us to be, that we'd be Christ-like. And Lord, we'd be usable by you. Lord, right now we invite your spirit to come and lead us into truth as we look at your word this morning again. Pray that you'd show us and teach us and apply things rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. So, where we have been, if you've been following with us, um, we have been uh, working through the teachings of Jesus, and we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount as one of those teachings at this point. And... I have a diagram there. I don't know if the print, you can read it or not. But anyhow, basically, it's so far we're about two-thirds of the way through today with this message. And uh, where we've been, we started first off, Jesus had this, this grand statement he makes that says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he'd already told us when he said that, he was summarizing that he had told us how to live, which is the Beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew 6. And he's told us, that were to be salt and life, that were light, that were supposed to be different and illuminate a path for others to find him. And then he's taught us and told us also in that, that section to, to follow the heart of the law, seek the heart of the law, not just to follow rules and regulations as a checklist. And then we moved into the next thing, which is our acts of righteousness, um, which are our... Are, um, there's, and you're going to see, we're going to next week, we switch a little thing, but we've been last two weeks and then this week again, these acts of righteousness. And those are, are things that we do that we would, we would term our spiritual life, our religious life. And we don't normally try to do this, we actually avoid it. But you've got to realize there are things that we do that are an active act of worshiping of God. And there are other things that we just go through in life. Now those are also ways to worship God, our regular mundane life. But we actually, humans, it's very easy to categorize those things. And Jesus actually delineates the two as well in this midst of this meeting, or in his, in his message here. And so we got these acts of righteousness, but the things that we do in our worship of him formally, he says, they are not things you should be doing so that you can be seen by men. They're things that God should see. And in that, we started out with this idea of doing good for others, doing things that bless and meet the needs. And we talked about that. When Deb and, and Lynn went to Operation Christmas Child, they gave up of time and effort and resources to do something that was going to bless other people that they would never meet. And I know Fred and, and Glenn have both been on MDA's trips, which required them to take time off of work and other things, or, to go, or in between times, a sacrifice to go to meet the needs of people who they didn't know. And that idea of doing things, those are just a few examples of doing things to bless others. 
Okay? Jeff spoke last, and, and then Jesus in that section gives the example of prayer. Prayer is not, or not prayer, I'm sorry, giving to the poor. Giving to the poor monetarily, as Fred said, is one thing you can do, but it's not the only way that we bless others. And then we, we talked, Jeff talked last week about prayer, and in that one, the big title in that one is, we are supposed to have this intimate, close relationship with God himself. And the way that we communicate with God, one part of that is prayer. That's the example that Jesus used and taught about prayer. But there's a lot of other things. Just sitting in his presence and seeking his face are all part of that relationship. And today, we're going to talk about dying to our flesh or personal disciplines in our spiritual life. And the example that Jesus uses is fasting, but again, it's not the only one, okay? Let's take a look at the passage of where we're at here. This is uh, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, When you fast, do not look sober as the hypocrites do, for they disguise their fa- they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I want to tell you this morning that there's more in this passage than just fasting. Fasting is the example that Jesus gives. And there's some, there's some discussion, on, well actually there's not a lot of discussion on fasting. Actually it's quite silent about it because that wasn't his point. This was not a treatise on fasting, it's actually a treatise, what he's saying here, of the importance of dying to self. Okay, And I realize it says that, but I want to broaden our perspective and share a couple scriptures real quick with you. Uh, Em, you want to click me forward one more? In Galatians chapter 5, it says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so the, the title this morning was Fasting and Dying to Your Flesh. Actually, it probably should be Dying to Your Flesh and Fasting. Because the big picture thing is Jesus is addressing our dying to the flesh. Fasting was a specific example. Well, what does it mean by flesh? Not, you know, dying, like killing yourself physically, but your flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is the corrupt nature of man subject to filthy appetites and passions. And ready? Every single human being has this corrupt nature, the flesh. That corrupt nature strives after things that are contrary to how God calls us to live. It's our flesh that drives us to pursue sinful things. Anger, lust, envy, discord, etc. The Bible's full of things that says we're not supposed to do that are the things of the flesh, that are of the old nature. We all have that. We are all pushed to do that. And that doesn't necessarily just automatically disappear when we're saved. I talked to two people this morning that basically told me the same thing, that either it's an ongoing or lately, that every day I have to battle not to do this thing that I used to do. Because the old nature is still strong and rears its head and tries to push us in those directions. Actually, that corrupt nature, you want to know what's wrong with the world? 
at the root of all the evil in the world, obviously is the enemy in, in that, but it's sin. And where does sin come from when people act on the corrupt nature? All that, all, everything that's wrong in our world, misuses, abuses, all that kind of stuff there, goes down to, and you can say, well, what about all the nasty disasters that have happened recently and all that stuff? Well, go back to the original sin, and where did that come from? Adam and Eve yielded to their corrupt nature by sinning. They exercised that free will, and that corrupt nature has been passed to every one of us. The interesting thing is, though, as the Scripture teaches us, each of us needs to make a choice daily to die to that old nature and live out of our new nature. And I want to make this really clear. Emily, you want to click ahead? I'm running out of batteries a lot. We're called to die the nature. Okay, click again. There we go. Dying to our corrupt nature is a choice. It is not automatic. You want to know the reality? Come to Christ, decide to walk out following Christ passively, not actively, you will fulfill the natures, the desires of your natural flesh. To, to, to die to your corrupt nature, to say no to it, is an ongoing action and a choice that we have to make. It's work. The Bible calls it work. The Bible also calls it a battle. It calls it a struggle. All those things there. And that does not go away until the day that we see Jesus face to face in heaven. If you deny that at all or wonder about that, thinking it's got to get easier, talk to some of our gray-haired people sometime. And you ask them, are you still having to die to your corrupt nature? And hear what they have to say. We have to daily say no and die to things like greed. The wrong view of our possessions. In relationships with others, which can include anger and malice and jealousy and gossip and all that other stuff the Bible speaks about. In sex and not doing things sexually the way God intended them to be. Our priorities that are out of whack. All those things, if we stay passive, we will follow the way of the world because that's the natural thing that occurs. It takes an honest, day-to-day, moment-by-moment effort to say no to those things and to move in a different direction. The important thing, again, I want you to realize that dying to your sinful nature takes action and choice and work throughout life. Now, let's talk about fasting a little bit. Click again, M. This is the example of dying to self that Jesus gives. Okay? It's the illustration. Remember that there are many other things which I don't have time or nor will I develop today. But if you read through your Bible, you will find throughout the whole New Testament, if you read that, it constantly has this theme of dying to self, dying to the old nature. And it tells you what the fruit of the old nature is. It's all in there. You could actually look those things up. But let's take a look at this idea of fasting a little bit since the example that Jesus gave. What's your concept of fasting? Just going to ask some generalized questions. Have you ever thought about fasting? Have you ever considered fasting? 
Have you ever fasted? Not just thought about it, have you ever done it? What is fasting? Is it something that, as a follower of Christ, that we're supposed to do? What's it for? What is fasting even for? Fasting is not something that is part of most Christians' experience of following God in our days. Let me say it again. Fasting is not part of a lot of Christians' following God experience in the days that we live in. Fasting isn't spoken of much in these days. Okay, let's continue on now with that lady. When Jesus said this, he starts out, when you fast. And this was actually something for me, I would have looked at that prior to studying this passage, that when he said, when you fast, is Jesus telling us that you should fast? And I was wrong. When Jesus says, when you fast, he was not necessarily making a statement declaring that we should fast. You're going to have to follow along and track with me a bit because there's a lot to this. Okay? When he said, when you fast, it was because he was addressing a very specific group of people, Jews. He was teaching. There was a multitude of people there, specifically focused on his disciples, which were all of Jewish descent. He was talking to hearers that day who all fasted. They all fasted. Every one of them did. Because they were good Jewish people. And it was, popular. It was a popular thing in their culture. All of his hearers fasted, but his, his hearers did not fast because of the new covenant in Christ. You know why? Because that new covenant didn't exist at that time. Jesus was teaching and training and talking about that, which culminated with his death and resurrection and the falling of the Spirit. Then we've got the new covenant, but at this point, that new covenant is in the works. It's planned, but it hasn't happened yet. So they didn't fast because they were followers of Jesus. They fasted for other reasons. They were fasting, not because of that, but because, first off, get this one now. The reason I can say that all of them fasted, if they were good Jews, was because God had instructed them to fast in the Old Testament, and they were still following the law. But another thing I came across this week that I did not know, and I should have, I've read the Bible a lot of times, but it never came out until I was actually reading very specifically and reading some sources and stuff like that. There's only one time that God, for the Jewish people, required that they fast. There was one required fast for the Jewish person per year. One. A lot of you say, wait a minute, it's all over in the Old Testament. It is all over in the Old Testament, but there was one required fast in the Old Testament. So they were commanded of God to fast once a year. Okay? The other reason that all those people around Jesus that day fasted, a lot of them, most of them, fasted much more than once a year. Okay? But the reason they fasted again was not because they were a follower of Jesus, and unfortunately I can say not even because they were necessarily following God, per se, in that fast. They were following and they were fasting more than just that once a year because of traditions. You see, the Pharisees themselves, good Pharisees fasted twice a week. There was a, a peer pressure put on the average person that in order to be truly spiritual, you need to fast frequently in a pattern, a tradition. 
Now, I'm not saying that the first Pharisee that decided to fast twice a week was on the wrong side. Maybe he was perfectly right in his motivations. But they began to do it, and that's why Jesus says, don't do it to be seen by others like the Pharisees do or the hypocrites do. They were fasting twice a week and wanted everybody to know about it because it was a mark of spirituality. People were fasting also. Now let's get aside from that. So there's a lot of reasons they fasted that had nothing to do with spirituality that God didn't recognize at all. But then there are these other things that if you read through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we see a lot of people that fasted because they chose to do so in the midst of national emergencies or personal emergencies or crisis. And they fasted because they were seeking God for help. And part of their seeking was included fasting. And there were other people throughout all through the Bible that they fasted because they were there, what they really were after was, I need to get close to God. I want to be in His presence. I want, to, I want to experience more of God. I want to know Him more. And part of that seeking or that quest included fasting. Jesus fasted. We're taken out in the wilderness. It's interesting. There's some clauses I read this week that really made me think, and it really doesn't matter. Jesus went out in the wilderness and fasted, it said, for 40 days. The question is, was it a choice to fast, or was he out in the wilderness and he had no food or water around, so he had to? I don't know. The bottom line is, but the Bible does tell us that Jesus fasted in that situation. So Jesus fasted. But it's interesting, we don't see all kinds of recorded evidence where Jesus fasted. Actually, that's the only one, I think. You can maybe check your Bible a little more. I'm not, I, I won't say it definitively, but I, my recollection, I know that it says he fasted in those 40 days in the wilderness. It's a big deal, but I'm not sure we have a lot of other statements where it clearly said that he did that. Although we do know that he did an awful lot of other things of seeking God. I would, I would personally be shocked if he didn't fast at other times. And Jesus talks about fasting in his teachings, and you'll find it talked about also in the New Testament. Okay? So it's not this thing that's just that the church has made up. It's, it's all over Scripture. Okay? Now, let's go on to another uh, series of, 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 of look at some questions. Now, what is fasting? What is fasting? Primarily, when you see them talking about fasting in the Bible, it was abstaining from food. Pretty simple to say that. That when fasting is used in the Bible, it's this. Now, but it was fasting or abstaining from food, abstinence from food, for spiritual reasons. Now, the Pharisees didn't do it. They said it was for spiritual reasons, but their heart was far from that. That's why Jesus addressed them. But the idea here is that it's abstaining from food for spiritual reasons. So for certain spiritual reasons, men and women decide to abstain from food. You might immediately say, well, I've also heard about people fasting this or fasting that, other things other than food. What about, what about abstaining from other things for spiritual reasons? I would say, yep, you know what that's called? Dying to your flesh. When you, when you broaden it out, you don't have to try to pinhole abstaining from this or that or the other thing in your, in your quest to seek God Dying to the flesh always requires you to say no to the things of the flesh, whatever they happen to be, for spiritual reasons. So people all the time decide to abstain from certain things that aren't, aren't even... I'm not talking about abstaining from sinful things. That's, that, that never is, is what we're talking about. We're talking about things that are okay to do, but choosing not to do them 
for whatever spiritual reason that's linked to it, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Things like people oftentimes now talk about, I am abstaining or keeping away from media or the news or, or entertainment or actually maybe even getting all by myself, which is an abstaining from relationships for a period of time to seek God. Abstaining, and the scripture actually talks about it once that obviously one of the practices in their church was abstaining from sex for a period of time in your marriage relationship for spiritual reasons. Because the warning's given, don't do it for too long lest you enter into temptation. So we have these things there. And, and, and they're all there. But now how about this? So that's what fasting is, abstaining from food. But again, if we're going to bring in the broad perspective, the dying to self is abstaining from other things for spiritual reasons. Okay? How about... Ooh. That was fast. We back it up. I don't know what happened. What's happening here today? Go back again. Another one. Keep going, Em. Go again. Back up again. I don't know. Yeah, do something. Keep going, Em. Back up one other one. Back up again. Going backwards, not forwards. You're going the wrong way, I think. No, you're at the end. Go to the one that says, what's fasting for? I don't know what's going on there. but Okay, that, actually, get slide up there in a minute. What's, what's fasting for? Why do we do it? What is, it, what, is, what, is it? what is its meaning? What's its purpose? What is it for? Let me say this. Fasting is not an end in of itself. Fasting was never meant to be and is not an end of itself. In other words... Merely fasting for the, faith, for, the, for, the, for the sake of fasting. Okay? Fasting has, all by itself, fasting has zero value. Just abstaining from food or abstaining from anything for that matter has no value whatsoever. What is fasting for? Or, or here's another thing where fasting has no value. Fasting has no value just simply as a spiritual discipline. I'm all for spiritual disciplines. Still not doing anything. Fasting, um, just doing it because it's a spiritual discipline. And actually, Peter kind of talked about this with devotions this morning. He was talking in Sunday school this morning about the idea of, uh, 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 when he was in college, a group saying, you know, the importance of devotions in the morning, which is a good thing, but going to the spot of this saying that in the end, people used to get to the spot that if they didn't do their devotions and something bad happened in the day, that it was because they didn't have their devotions. In other words, elevating a spiritual discipline to something that, you, or just checking the box, okay? Fasting because it's a spiritual d- discipline is not what we do it for. It should never be reduced to just a process or an activity that's part of your discipline. We shouldn't do it mechanically as a mere habit or duty. Or how about this one? Fasting is never done just because everybody else does it or because the saints used to do it or because Jesus did it. Just doing it for that reason again has no value. Fasting in itself is a means to an end not an end of itself. Fasting is always a means. It's connected to something. It's a means to an end, not an end in itself. It's always connected to something else, but ready? It's always connected to a spiritual something else. Okay? Fasting is not just 
a means of receiving a blessing, which you can say, wait a minute, Pastor, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth right now. You just, you just said fasting is a means to an end, and it's connected to a spiritual blessing. But then you said that fasting is not just a means of receiving a blessing. Let me give you an example. We should never fast just for a way to get direct results from God. What that is is what I want to call the vending machine mentality. That if I, you walk up to the vending machine, whether it's a snack machine or a soda machine or a drink machine, you walk up to it, you got all those choices, and I want that one, so I put what? My currency in, whatever it happens to be, I push the button, and then it comes out. That's the vending machine mentality, and we should never fast with that attitude in mind. In other words, do this, and I'm guaranteed a certain outcome, the one that I want. The idea, because I do this, I get that. Frankly, that, all that is is selfishness in trying to control the blessings of God. And you know what? It's an insult to God. An absolute insult to God. And fasting was never meant, in any practice, was meant to be that way. What do we fast for then? What is it for? Ready? Fasting. We fast to reach a deeper, deeper level of prayer, meditation, or intercession. It's something that we do because our desire is to enter into a deeper prayer life, a deeper intercession, a deeper, a deeper connection with God. Like I said, to focus on or concentrate on God to a deeper level. In other words, I, I'm, I'm walking with him, but I know that for whatever reason, I'm, I'm, I'm pressed in my spirit that I need to be especially close to God, closer than I am before, and I'm willing to do anything to get there, and fasting can be a part of that. And fasting can also be something that we do to worship God at a deeper level. So how about this? When should you fast? When should you fast? It's still not working. Whatever, I'm going to drop it and forget it. When should, we, when, should, when should fasting be considered? Ready? You and I should consider fasting when we're intent on some mighty spiritual purpose. Now the words that I'm using here are not meant to put this out of reach for the average person. But when it says all of these, these, these descriptive words when we're intent on some mighty spiritual purpose. In other words, there's something that's going on inside of us, that there's a spiritual purpose in front of us that we feel God has put there, and it's really consuming us to know what that is or wanting to be that, to see that purpose achieved or whatever. And it's, it's a mighty spiritual thing that God's putting on our heart to do or to, 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 to inquire of or whatever else. And so we fast as a way to enter into that, and it puts us in that. How about this one too? When we sense, uh, this is interesting because some of the stuff I'm pulling are quotes that go back 60 years when it was written. And this is why they use this word. When I sense a peculiar need, when I, when I sense a peculiar need of an entire concentration of my whole being on God. In other words, there's a need in front of me that I recognize this is not just a normal need in my life or the needs around me. This is a need that's different. There's something about it that's different, and it's going to require my full concentration on God. 
It's not just your normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill need. It's a, it's, it's, it's a deeper one than that. And those are times that, we, that fasting should be considered. And now how about this one? When we're driven to a need to have our entire focus be on God to worship Him. You can come into worship sometimes and just like, actually you can come into worship on one extreme, come in and just sit here and do absolutely nothing. And not even be thinking about anything that's going on about God. Then there are other times that we come in and we actually are focused on God, and we're thinking about Him, but we're not active. Or we can be active thinking about God, and we're actually actively worshiping here, but there's another level of worship that goes on, which is one that doesn't have to be here. It's in our life where we recognize our worship of the Lord as simply saying, holy cow, God, I don't, I'm not giving you what you really deserve. Because He deserves our full attention, all of that stuff there. And fasting can be something that we do as an act the spiritual purpose is to go into a deeper level of worship of our Lord and Maker. Let me give you some examples. I become aware in my own life, I'm just, I'll use I or we, of a deep, deep in my spirit of a spiritual purpose that God has shown me, or you. You, you look at a spiritual purpose, whether it's in your life or the church or whatever it happens to be, a deep spiritual purpose, and you're convicted of that, so you fast and you seek God for that specific purpose. You fast and you seek God for that specific purpose. And remembering this, though, in the midst of that, that fasting is not the money in the vending machine that's going to make it happen. It's not something that when you're desperate and really want to see that thing happen, that purpose go forth, that you fast as an arm-twisting God, or if I fast and do all the right stuff that he's guaranteed that it's going to happen. No, what actually fasting does in those situations, it removes. It's an act we do to remove the distractions so that I can better focus on seeking God and respond to him and his leading in that. Because sometimes we're so intent on what we consider these deep spiritual purposes, and fasting as an act, if it's done rightly, can actually clarify our vision because we're denying ourselves of flesh, saying no to our corrupt nature, so that we can be more in tune with what God's actual purposes are. How about this one? You're faced with an emergency or a great need. Not an average everyday one, but a great need in your own life or in the life of someone around you or a group of people around you. In that situation, fasting can be used in that of, of, of obviously, if it's a great need, we're asking God to meet the need, to do something, to do whatever that is. You say, well, what's different between that than in the vending machine where I'm fasting to get what I want? No, fasting isn't the currency you give. What fasting actually does is it removes, it can remove distractions to your spiritual life. By saying no to your, your, your fleshly nature, your appetites, if you will, it can fine-tune and remove those distractions. It can, it can actually move you into, a, and it just sounds very, uh, what, I don't know what they would call the mystics. Okay? And this is not a mystical thing. It may be a mystery, but it's not a mystical thing. Because actually fasting in these situations when you're aware of a deep, big-time need in your life or somebody else's life, fasting can move you into a deeper realm of prayer that you wouldn't get to normally because you have all kinds of distractions and you're focused on other things. And actually, I want to point this out. Fasting in those situations can move us beyond just praying for what we want in the situation, but can fine-tune our spirit to be able to recognize what God wants in that situation. 
And if you've never experienced anything close to realizing that oftentimes you and I pray as knee-jerk reactions for what we want and never consider what God wants. Sometimes we automatically think that we know, which is a very dumb thing to say. I don't know all there is to know, and neither do you, and fasting can be a way to supersede that and go right directly to getting into what God wants and being cooperative with Him. We're not to use fasting as a magic wand. It's not a magic wand. It's not a a disguise, a spiritual disguise that is acceptable in Christian circles for manipulating God to act. It's not. It's not a magic wand. Why do we bother doing it? Well, let's continue on. And then what Jesus actually says here too is, don't fast so that other people see your piety and your deep spirituality. It's not a badge of honor. It's not something to show other people that you're serious or that you're, 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 you're whatever. Jesus directly warned us that in the Matthew 6 passage. And if we do that, what does he say? We will get recognition. I love what Jeff said last week about prayer. He said at the very beginning, and he, he, honestly, he, he, he dealt with what Jesus said big time about prayer. Don't pray before other people and all these things. He says, because if you do, and you're doing to be seen, you're going to get your reward, you're going to be recognized, and that's it. He said the same thing about fasting. If you fast so that you'll be seen by others and recognized, you're going to get recognized by men, but God's, God might not even hear your prayer. Definitely not going to accept the fast because it's done with the wrong motives. Don't expect to receive anything significant from God when we do anything to be seen by men or to be recognized. That's actually what we've been talking about this last three weeks in a row. So, as we begin to wrap up, you say, wait a minute, how can you wrap up? I'm still confused. Okay, good. Good. Because you know what? So am I after spending hours this week studying about fasting. I've got new things I came across that rocked my world, other things that do this, and then I deal with nothing any different than you do. I have fasted in the past. I have been guilty of some of the things that I said we're not supposed to fast for and the reasons why. In recent days, again, I've been convicted. There's this little thing that said me you should fast again. Have I done it yet? No. Why? I don't know. Some of it's probably laziness, and some of it also is I'm just, I still wrestle with this whole idea. What's it for? What's it about? And all that kind of thing there. So if you're confused about fasting, welcome to being a follower of Christ. Okay? So if you are confused about fasting, I don't want to leave you without some suggestions. If you're confused about fasting, and now you're all waiting, he's going to give us the magic thing right now. It's the key that's going to unlock it. It is, actually. Talk to God about it. (sighs) No. Talk to God about it. If you're confused about fasting and where it fits in your life, talk to God about it. Okay, And read passages in the Bible about it. Open your Bible and do some Google searches. Say, is that spiritual? Well, you can simply say, Bible verses on fasting. And you know what? You're going to get hundreds of them. Read them. Look for commonality. Ask God to speak to you through those verses. Talk to God about your frustrations, your lack of understanding, or whatever it all is. 
And now, on the back in the Information Center and online on our website are links to a devotional this week that talks about fasting farther and has a whole bunch of scriptures that you can read. It's already done for you. And guess where I got all those verses from? Bible verses on fasting on my computer. And it shot up. Actually, there's a good one there. Every time you'll Google search a topic, it'll give you 40 verses on fasting. And another one will have 20. So is the person that has 40 better than the person that has 20? I don't know. It's just why you can open up your concordance, but in the day technology age, it's pretty simple. Did I write all 40 of them down? No, there's not 40 of them there because some of them, eh, I didn't like that one as much. Not because I didn't like the truth in it, because it was talking about something. I've tried to pick the ones that actually are going to challenge us to think more about it. So talk to God about it. Read Bible verses about it. And ready? Listen to this. Trust that when you talk to God about it because you are confused and you want to know more about this, trust that he's going to lead you into a deeper understanding of it. In Matthew chapter 7, it says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. That's in Matthew 7. We're going to get there in another week or two on, uh, in, in, our, in our series of messages because that's, where we had, that's, that's out there in the future a little bit further. But look at, notice what it says. Ask, Jesus is saying, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And I, I, I don't want to make a lot of comment on that. I will talk more about that when we get there in the messages. But I want to say this. Talk to God about it. Read the Bible. Trust that he's going to lead you because that's exactly what he said. If you don't understand something, ask me about it. Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened. And that's my challenge to you. You seek God for it. You ask him questions about it. You open your Bible and ask the Spirit to guide and direct your steps in that. And now some other things to add to this. How about this one? When you fast, if you're led by God, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but let's assume that you decide to fast. When you do so, ready? Be natural. Don't make it this mystical thing. Be natural. Forget about other people and forget about yourself and give yourself fully to God because that's actually what the heart of fasting is. It's not about some mystical thing. It's not about you and it's not about other people. It's what? So you can fully and totally focus on God. So when you fast, be natural. Forget about yourself. Forget about others. And fully give yourself to God. Now I want to read to you... Well, I'm going to statement here. Um, the closer that you and I walk with God... Ready? The closer you and I walk with God, the more likely we are to be led to fast. Let me say it again. The closer you and I walk with God, the more likely we are to be fast. You say, wait a minute here. Let me give you what might go through your thought, but if you have time, let me, put, let me just say it. Well, isn't fasting going to make me walk closer to God? The moment that we start approaching it that way, we're, we're in all kinds of danger of doing all the stuff we said we're not supposed to do as far as fasting. The closer you and I walk with God, the more likely He's going to lead us into a fast and we'll choose to do so. Because it's all about spiritual purposes and being close to God and seeking His will and being a part of what He wants us to do. And fasting will be something that we do as a result of those things and to enhance it even further. 
Okay, I'm going to read a quote. I was hoping to be able to. Can you click two ahead, Emily? I, I don't know if it's clicking for you or not. One more. Okay, listen to this. If our great concern is to please God and to glorify His name, we shall be in no difficulty about these other things. And these are all those other things that we add on there about what we should eat, what we should wear in our worship of God. If a man is living entirely to the glory of God, you need not prescribe for him when he has to fast. You need not prescribe the sort of clothes that he has to put on or anything else. And notice what the precursor. If a man or a woman is living entirely for the glory of God, you don't need to prescribe to that person whether they should or shouldn't fast, what clothes they should wear, or anything else about their worship of God. You don't have to tell them how there's, you don't have to prescribe when and what it should all look like if a person is wholly living that. Click it again, Em. One more. If he has forgotten himself and given himself to God, the New Testament says that man will know how to eat and drink and dress because he will be doing all to the glory of God. I would do you a tremendous disservice this morning if I told you everything that we could know about fasting and then prescribed how often and when specifically it should be done. That's what the Pharisees did. A good Jewish follower of God will fast twice a week. And you know what we would all do? We would follow a pattern to check the box, to get what we want from God, and, and, and. And we'd, we'd immediately fall into the pitfalls. You strive, and I strive, we should all be striving as individuals to walk as closely with God as possible. And as we're doing that, you, if you give this serious, realizing again, sometimes you don't think about fast because it's never talked about. If you read your Bible, it is talked about. But we're talking about it this morning. And as you seek to walk closely with God, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to start wrestling with this idea of fasting. Should I? When should I? How should I? Now I'm going to tell you something very, what's going to sound tremendously unspiritual. Well, how will I know? I can't answer that question for you. All I can simply say is if you're being nudged, talk to God about it. And then as you continue to get nudged, do it. Connect it to a spiritual reason. I want to be closer to you, God. I want to worship at a deeper level. I have an intense need, or my neighbor or my family member has an intense need. I'm going to choose to, to fast, not because it's going to guarantee that, because I'm going to do that to eliminate distractions and then seek to pray what you would have me pray for that situation. You yield to Him. You and I have choices to make in the end of this. And there are only two that I'm going to give you as far as this is concerned. And, and there are, in this order, two choices to make. To strive to walk closer and deeper with God. That is very important. That is a choice. Passive following of God doesn't lead very far. It leads very shallow, and you don't look any different than the world. So, the choice 
I want to walk closer to God. I want to walk deeper with God. I want to be sensitive to His leading because I'm tired of just doing what I think should be done or thinking what I think should be thought and so on. I want the mind of Christ. I want to act like Christ. I want to be close enough where I can recognize His voice. You strive for that. That needs to be our desire, the thing that drives our life, that is the, and being diligent to get there. And then when He leads you to fast, obey. The moment we reverse it, we go through all that junk that Jesus warned us against and the Scripture warns us against. But if our close to God, saying what He says, doing what He does, praying according to His will, and I want that, 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 I talk to God, show me, teach me, I read in the Bible, show me, teach me, show me, teach me, because I want to I wanna be more like you and I want to be used of you and I want to I be pleasing to you. And then when he nudges us to fast, we say, okay, and we do it. And that's it. And then you can sit back later on and look at it and say, wow, look what you did, God, or, or what it did in my heart. Maybe, maybe you don't get what you asked for, but the residual effect in your heart, I guarantee you will do it when we're fasting for the right reasons in the right situations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first off, Lord, I, I, here in 2022 in America, in southern Jefferson County, we have become so selfish. Lord, one of the reasons that we don't think about, I believe, Lord, and I'm, I'm convicted of that this morning, and I ask your forgiveness, Lord, that we don't think about fasting, we don't talk about fasting because it means I'd have to die to self. I'd have to wrestle with things I don't want to wrestle with. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, I pray for each and every person that hears this message that you would burn in our hearts an intense desire to walk closer to you every day, to be deeper in relationship with you, to be more like you, to think your thoughts, say your words, do your actions, to have the mind of Christ, to, to have a deeper understanding and, 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 and import and knowledge of what your will is in situations, Lord. Burn that in us, Lord. Let that be our heart's cry, to die to self, to forget about all of our own stuff and our own issues and our own agendas and give you the place that you deserve. And Lord, I pray that as we make that our hearts cry as we begin to walk in that, Lord. I pray that you sovereignly would lead each of us into the moments, into the specific times when you would have us fast. And Lord, help us to trust that when we ask you for insights, you're a good father. You're not going to give us something that's going to damage us. You're not going to lead us into confusion. You're going to lead us into clarity. You're going to lead us into things that draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that would be the case for fasting. Lord, don't let us be afraid to try something at your nudging. Lord, help us to be like a little kid that when something is nudged there, we just go and do it. We just go and do it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that with the correct heart condition, the correct mind, and be pleasing to you in what we do. In Jesus' name, amen.